Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Conversational. My name is Julie Rehm, and today I have the great pleasure of introducing you to Mark Pattison. Mark is a hard one to give you his full bio on because it it is so circuitous in that it it ranges from amazing philanthropic effort to I think personal um, personal efforts and and just going through an athletic background all the way to what he has uh, been doing now in in a more executive and and professional manner. And so it's really, it's a really thrilling winding story that I know you guys are going to really enjoy, but he's just to give you a little taste uh, of what you're about to, to learn about. And then some is that Mark is a former NFL player, which is apropos because we're going to be launching this. You'll all be listening to this hopefully while you're watching the NFL uh, playoffs and then Super Bowl. <laughs> so good timing. He's also, as I mentioned, a philanthropist. He too is a podcaster. He's a successful um, entrepreneur. And as I mentioned, he's an executive at Sports Illustrated. He's also uh, unbelievably climbed all seven summits, like like physical mountains is what I'm talking about, not just personal summits. He's completed this feat by scaling the death-defying Mount Everest just this past spring, so less than a year ago. He, you know, beautifully, the story is he's dedicated his climb to his daughter, Amelia, who is overcoming her own Everest by defeating epilepsy. He's actually raised over $60,000 with the generous donations donations from many, many individuals, the NFL, the Vegas Raiders. I'm sorry, Mark, that they you know lost to my Bengals. We'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> but all the proceeds go to higher ground. So without without breaking into any more of the, you know, the the punchlines of, of his amazing story, let me please introduce Mark. Hello, Mark, and welcome. Yeah, thank you so much. You know, as you were saying all those nice things as we were coming in, it reminded me of that movie Forrest Gump um, <laughs> when they were talking about life is a box of chocolates, right? And yeah. uh, and it truly can be if you step into certain things that you've never done before. It is. It's a. It's amazing. And I, um, you know, as as we were speaking, you know, I dedicate this podcast to amazing people who have faced amazing holy shit moments or Hoshimos in their life. And I'm sure they've, you know, in, in every case have upended what they thought was their game plan for life, whether it's personal or career. And I am very eager to get into what those things were for you, because just even that little tiny intro, it's clear that I, I mean, maybe we'll find out that did you, did you have a plan to, you know, to be raising money and climbing all the <laughs> seven summits of the world. I don't know, but we'll, we'll get into it. So let's start with where, so tell us where were you born? What'd your mom and dad do? Did you have brothers and sisters? So fill us in on the, on the early days. Yeah. I mean, I, I think like a lot of the things that we'll get into here in a few minutes, you know, they're all connected. Um, and, and there were aha moments multiple times and, and we'll, uh, we can, you know, I'm an open book about what that looks like, but I grew up in Seattle, Washington and Seattle is, you know, I think as I as I look at where I sit today, um, you know, it's had a big influence on me. I live in Sun Valley, Idaho now, a beautiful little mountain town in the middle of nowhere. But, um, you know, growing up in terms of the simplicity, my parents were both um, teachers. And so I didn't actually get on an airplane um, until I was 18 years old on my first recruiting trip. And it happened to be the University of Hawaii. So if you're going to pick up a, a recruiting trip, you know, that's probably the place to go. But you know, we just went everywhere in uh, in the little VW bug um, and uh, and did a lot of 
camping and hiking. And for people that are not familiar with the Northwest, the Pacific Northwest, you know, where Seattle is located in kind of the upper left-hand corner of the country, um, it's very mountainous um, and there's lots of lakes and, and, and there's one big peak up there called Mount Rainier. It's 14,500 feet. And many people around the world um, have not only come to climb that mountain, but also many uh, very famous mountaineers, actually the first Mount, uh, the, the, the first uh, American to climb Mount Everest in 1963 was a guy named um, Jim Whitaker. And all those guys cut their teeth on mountains up in the Pacific Northwest, West, in particular Mount, uh, uh, Mount Rainier. And so I was really influenced by a lot of these different people, um, you know, growing up. We're talking about mountaineering, but in the business world, um, you know, and this came later, um, you know, as I was going probably into my 30s where it really became a very entrepreneurial Bill Gates, you know, grew up in my neighborhood. You know, he wasn't wealthy and rich like he is now, but uh, back when he started this little company called Microsoft, um, nobody knew, you know, what that was. That was like 1985, 1986 or something. And then Jeff Bezos decides to open this little book thing out of his garage. I had buddies that were early investors in that. Howard Schultz, you know, from Starbucks. I mean, I've done... I, I was uh, I was a, a contractor for Starbucks for 14 years. We talked about the entrepreneurial side, the things I've done, um, and, and so I got to know a lot of these different people and all these, you know, Expedia, Rich Barden, another guy, another friend, right? That's come out, and they're just these guys who, you know, when you're in that type of environment, it, it's very just, you know, it, it it makes you think outside the box and what is possible and learning to think big. And I think those those different influences, you know, have all come full circle, you know, later in life for me as I sit here today. So when you so when you were growing up, and I I love the visual of of um, you know the the small town in Idaho. My sister in law is from Idaho, so I've I've gotten familiar with it from through her. But it is it is beautiful part of the country, by the way. My parents lived in Seattle for a long time. It is just spectacular. I know it. People complain about the the grayness, but it is it's that fresh. It's that I don't know. There's a smell to the the upper northwest. I think it's this very fresh sort of green smell. Um, you know, watery. It's just it's a beautiful place for to be able to really enjoy nature. And I can picture it. This visual that you created of your parents as teachers and you guys zipping around in a and a VW bug, I think is, 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 is very quintessential. Um, how, when, and you said you, you got on the plane to go to Hawaii in those first 18 years before you, you know, started to see other parts of the world, what was it that you wanted to do? What was like, so with your teachers and what you saw, what at an early age, what is it that you thought you would be doing in life or what did you really aspire to do? Uh, that's a great question. You know, again, you know, it, it's, it's weird for people to think about this today, unless you're, you're in my golden ages, but you know, back in the day, there's no internet and there's only three TV channels, ABC, NBC, CBS, and maybe one PBS thing. And, and so most of my time was spent not in front of a computer, not playing video games was out in the play field all the time. That's all I ever did. And, and also many of those companies, you know, we only really had one big company. It was Boeing right? Mm-hmm. It was based out mm-hmm. of Seattle. And, and that was it. And so like this whole entrepreneurial thing, it didn't really, like, I wasn't thinking about that. All I cared about the sports, 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 sports. And, you know, in high school, 
I did fairly well um, to get recognized by a number of different colleges throughout the country and in particular on the West Coast. And so now I, I started to go, but, you know, I st it still really hadn't clicked in. I was always able to kind of get away with just my natural talent. I was kind of faster than everybody else in the field. And a lot of those things just uh, enabled me to get to where I got. But like all things, you know, they, they use this little word called potential. And what that really means is at the end of the day, you haven't really fulfilled the maximum ceiling where we can all go in our different personalities. And everybody has a ceiling, you know, and, and, and so I'd gotten to a certain level that was better than everybody else, but it wasn't good enough to keep to propel me, you know, to go on. So at the time it was just football sports and that was it. That was my world. Business wasn't even in the picture, mountain climbing outside of a casual hike wasn't really there. These would all come, you know, down the road. Yeah. So when you went to, why, why did you choose hope in just in no, your I didn't, college? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I went to the university of Washington, so I don't want to confuse yeah. that. So I went in multi, you know, you, when you're, when you're uh, a recruit being recruited by all these different, you know, it's just, everybody's trying to bring you in. They want you at their school because they think that you can help. And so I got multiple recruiting trips. Mm. My first one happened to be over to the university of Hawaii. So on Oahu, I don't think and, about Hawaii as a big football school. I mean, but that's why I asked, I was like, Oh, why would, I thought maybe that was one of those that you wanted to go do, but you know, yourself in terms of a school, but no, it was a football. Oh, I wanted to go to Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> well, who doesn't want to go to Hawaii? Yeah. Yeah. So that's all I really <laughs> wanted to do. So, you know, I, I had it, it, at the, it, it, again, people familiar with the university of Washington know that they, that, that the UW is located right in the, the right know, downtown, right downtown. So it's, you're right there. So, you know, I grew up, I could actually see Husky stadium um, outside my parents' window and I went to all the games with my grandfather um, when I was a kid. And so, you know, I always looked down at those guys and with awe, like I could ever be one of those guys in the field. I mean, that's, that was the game in town. And until up until 1976 um, is when the Seahawks were mm -hmm. uh, franchised along with Tampa Bay, now with Tom Brady. But they started also. So it was Tampa Bay and it was the Seattle Seahawks that were formed in 1976. And so then we started to get the professional level there where I could look up to and see those guys and try to emulate what they were doing. So when you chose, when you chose Wash, Washington and, mm -hmm. you know, I'm very familiar with the school, you went largely with a, I assume a, a football scholarship and, yeah. and went to think I'm going to play. Did you have in your mind when you went, I mean, I'm sure every kid does right. That, although I look, I just think my son, my son went and played college ball too, but it was a D3. He had no aspirations to go to NFL. It wasn't that caliber, but just loved the game and wanted to play it as long as he could. I suspect given your passion and the story you're telling that you did have designs on like, Hey, watching, maybe, maybe I could go all the way. Was that in your mindset when you went and, and no, started to play? Not at all. <laughs> not at all. Okay. No, no. So let's go back to the first thing you were talking about yeah. in those, those kind of aha moments, yeah. right? And this is, this is the first one for me, right? Because for the most part, you know, I had a happy, you know, great friends, childhood growing up, playing little league sports, making my way through high school. I had a great coach that really empowered me to kind of go do whatever I want. We had a good quarterback. So it was kind of being in the right place, right time, which then propelled me to this next level. And the aha moment for me came the day that I stepped out on the field for the University of Washington. And we had a coach named Don James and Don James had come down from the kind of the Paul Bear Bryant, who's the great Alabama coach, um, that whole tree line. And 
And he had started to build some serious momentum at the University of Washington. They'd gone to a Rose Bowl and they were getting better players. And I get out there on this first day of my, um, of my freshman year at fall camp. It was in August. And I'm on the sideline. I'm looking out there. And, and again, I'm having this holy shit moment because I'm looking out there. I was just little, you know, I was six foot two, 181 pounds, couldn't bench my weight. I was just this skinny little kid who had never worked for anything. All these guys were gunned up. They were strong. They were confident, uh, you know, and that just was not me. And that was not me. And I was just like, I am so far in over my head. And I got out there and I started competing against. I just didn't have the body. I didn't have the frame to compete against these guys who were 22, 23, you know, and many of our players went on into the NFL. So I didn't understand the path that you needed to take to actually get you there. And so the aha moment for me was this, is that, Number one, I was way in over my head. Number two is what I had to learn over that next, you know, several years was Don James' pyramid of success. So it's really the blueprint, which I've taken time and again. Now we're talking about, you know, my football life, my NFL life, my business life, Sports Illustrated, my mountaineering life. It's the same blueprint that I've implemented time and again. Um, but I didn't understand really what that meant, you know, and I had to go through three, four years of, like I didn't play. I just kept getting bigger and stronger and more knowledgeable and more confident and having the belief system. And here was the catch in this whole thing is that just because I did A and B, you know, lifting, running, learning my plays, studying film, doing all that kind of stuff. There was no certainty that A plus B was going to equal C. There was no certainty that I was ever going to play. But because I did that, and I did that with consistency. And I did it with daily discipline. It led to the magical moment where it was my junior year, we were playing Michigan, we're down by 14, um, I'm in the game, and and as the game winds up, we score a touchdown, now we're down by seven, we come back, we get the ball with two minutes ago, we, we drive the entire length of the field, and they throw me the ball with 15 seconds left to go in the game, in the end zone, I jump over the guy, I catch the ball, end up on Sports oh. Illustrated. Ironically, I work for the company today, but I jump over there, you know, it's a big, huge spread of me on the cover of Sports Illustrated of catching this ball and winning the game. And so um, it wasn't about that moment was just a validation of the belief system I had to have for buying into this whole pyramid of success is 25 individual and team goals that I needed to have to go out and excel and exceed to, to one day put myself in that position to play out. And there's many people who did the same thing as me and they just weren't, talented enough or they didn't get the right opportunity or when they got in there, it didn't play out well for them. So, you know, for me, fortunately, knock on wood, it did. But regardless, it was that blueprint that helped me and has helped me through life of really understanding how to get things accomplished. So it's so fascinating. I love it. First of all, were you a tight end or a wide receiver? I was a wide receiver. You're a wide receiver. Okay. Yeah. I just, you know, they've been showing all the tight ends, you know, Tony Gonzalez and, you know, there's my uh, Raider jersey right there. Back oh, the beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. I'm a big Bengals fan. So I was yeah, pretty cool. excited that we won. So I, but that's, it's been 31 years. We deserve it. Um, yeah. But, but the, there's a couple of things about your story that I think were interesting. So as I want to get to one is that blueprint. I'd love it if you could share any kind of key points of that blueprint that your, sure. your coach shared with you that have served you so well through life. Yeah. And then two is that I have to imagine that that moment where you caught that ball and were on Sports Illustrated was another another holy shit moment of a different angle that probably propelled you on in terms of the belief in yourself and the hard work. Because I think to your point, 
there may have been several other people, I don't say many, but several other people just like you, but they didn't choose to dig in, to just push through, to do the hard work, to not be to not be discouraged by the fact that you didn't get playing time in the first two years, if that, you know, and, and that they didn't get, because I think that that is the story. And at least for me, with all of these interviews that I do with, with successful people, that little piece is the difference. It's that, it's that, um, stick to if you will, you know, the, the ability to just hang in there. Um, and I'm just wondering those two things. One, was that a holy shit moment that that's obviously you tell the story. So it's, it certainly was pivotal at least, but, but two is what were those tidbits that your coach gave you that have served you through life? Cause I, I think that would be interesting to share. Well, there's a lot of them, but you know, let me tell you this at the top of the, the, the pyramid, right? So there's 25 individual. This is, so as you go through this and we had, a, he had taken it from, from John Wooden and he had adapted mm-hmm. it as his own. Right. And so, um, you know, in the, in the, the bottom, it's getting bigger and it's getting faster. A, a, a block could be big, uh, getting, get fast. A block could be get strong. A block could be do well in the classroom. Cause if you flunk in the classroom, you can't play on the field. Right. A block could be, so there's all these different blocks in there. And at the very top, and it, it goes, co- it coincides with winning a national championship. And again, these are what you aspire to be, to be the best possible version of yourself. But in the John Wooden version, which has always stuck with me, this thing called competitive greatness. Okay. And the thing about competitive greatness is this, is that not everybody's going to be Michael Jordan, but whatever you do in business, in mountaineering, in sport, in personal relationships, or whatever it might be, um, if you don't love the process, it ain't going to last a whole long time. So let's go back to what you said or the question that you asked about, you know, what was the difference between you where you separated yourself between myself and these other people? And, and it, it was a variety of things. Um, a lot of these guys just, you know, is party city and they're doing the wrong stuff. No and, pun. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. You know, I understand what you're talking about, but they were just, you know, you have to be a very dedicated athlete if you want to succeed and play at the highest level. And so that like wiped out a bunch of people. People didn't do well enough in school. And so that wiped some people. Some people just quit because they couldn't handle it anymore. Other people, there was new talent that was always coming up, you know, new hot recruits. You know, I was a hot recruit coming out of high school, but then when I was a freshman, I wasn't a hot recruit anymore. And now the new hot recruits are the guys coming behind me. So it was always being pushed, right? And I think going into a place like the University of Washington, my first year we went to the Rose Bowl, my second year we went to the Rose Bowl, my third year we went, ironically, um, over to Hawaii for the first inaugural Aloha Bowl. My fourth year, I was there five years, I registered a year. My fourth year we went back um, to the uh, Aloha Bowl. My fifth year we ended up number two in the country beating Oklahoma in the Orange Bowl. And what a lot of that whole you know, that arc of, of the bowl games and being around big time programs and big time athletes. And many of these guys went on to my teammates went on to the NFL and the guys I played against, which I'd later get to know went on to the NFL. It started to, to open my mind on how to think big. And that was the biggest thing because if my ceiling, my ceiling in high school was just my ceiling in high school, like I'm good enough. Right. I didn't realize that I had a whole nother level, multiple levels to go to be able to compete at that level. And then once I got to the NFL, you know, I had to step it up a whole nother level. I didn't even know I had that level, but it's just like sink or swim. You either either swim or you get cut, period. Period. That's it. Amazing. What, so, so I love, and I, I love the, 
I love the fact that, you know, when you get to see a glimpse of the, of the bigness of what happens is that that is what spurred you on. Because I think many people become paralyzed by that. They see it. And then the, the self-doubt creeps in because they're like, oh my God, it's so big. I could never right there. They're very, there's a comfort level in the thing that, you know, that's a smaller pond and that bigger pond with the unknowns. And, you know, when you see all the, the different, the talent, it can be very paralyzing. And, and for you, it was motivating which I think is, is a huge difference and says a lot about. Well, let me, t- let me tell you why, because that's really interesting. I love that question. And, and the reason why it was motivating is because of this, is that, and this is where people get caught up all the time in business. And again, in other things that they do, which is they get so caught up in whatever the, the next person's doing. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I had to concern myself about was myself. Like, how can I, am I the best version of myself yet? And the answer was always no. Right. And that's what was maybe feel fear of failure. I'm not sure what that was, but it was always motivating for me. Like, how can I get better? Like, I can't control what that guy's doing. And there's three things that helped me get there is number one is the first thing I had to do. And believe me, when I was a freshman and I was looking at this whole thing, I was terrified. I had this breakdown moment again. I've had multiple <laughs> aha moments, but this was another one where where I was at that freshman year where I looked out there and that was one, but also later where now I was, I was like a rock star in the fraternity. Um, I was not doing well in class and I was failing at football. Right. And so it was just like, what door do you want to go through? And what I had to learn again, going through this whole pyramid of success is three things. One was stepping in the fear. Was I willing to go through and do all these different things? Number two is I had to do this with daily discipline. Right. And really honor that. I mean, the only person I'm ever cheating is myself. And the third thing is I had to commit, like I'd never committed before. And I'd never really committed to a level like that. I was just the guy that would roll up the playground. And I had to take my dedication and my effort and everything in my heart, my body, you know, and, and just have a strong why of like, what's my, what, what's my purpose? Like, why am I out here doing all this stuff? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I realized it was because I needed to become the best version of myself. Now I wasn't going to let anything. So what I did is I, I, I moved out of the fraternity. I moved home with my parents. Um, I dedicated myself to college, to, to school. And again, it took me three plus years to get on that field, you know, and that's a long time to be in a dark tunnel before the light comes out. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of it, you know, you know, I look back on it. And I, I can I can say that I didn't leave anything behind. As a matter of fact, I probably could have even given more, but I didn't leave anything behind. But you know, I had to sacrifice a whole lot of things with all my buddies and going out and having a good time. And it's just like you know what, there's going to be time for me to do that down the road. But now is a special time. And how many of those guys would want to be down there on the field playing in Michigan? You know, and all these other USC, Stanford's, all these. I mean, they all want to be out there on the stands and they don't have enough talent. And so I have to do what I can to be the best version of myself. Special moment. So how did you how did you get? So did you leave right from college and go to the NFL where you drafted, or how did that process work? Yeah. So there's there's a other people have asked me that um in the past who just they don't understand quite how that works. You can't just show up at the Raider training camp, right? So there's there's a there's a, there's a flow that goes on. And the first thing you have to do is you have to typically you have to be at one of the more major colleges It's shifting a little bit now, but that was certainly the case. And so you get slotted. And then what they do is the NFL has something called the NFL combines. They're now held in, in uh, Indianapolis. They used to, when I was going through, we had our year, it was in um, Tempe, Arizona state, but they invite the three top 350 players in the country to come. 
And then I got drafted in the seventh round by the Raiders. They give you like a slot, you know, like where you might get drafted. And I happened to get drafted by the Raiders, which was amazing in Los Angeles at those days. Now they're in Las Vegas, as you mentioned at the beginning of the yeah. show. And, um, you know, off I went and that just went in. And, and again, the thing that was interesting about that is that when I got down to L.A., you know, there's they'd been in the Super Bowl two years before. They had a couple Heisman Trophy winners on the team, Marcus Allen, Jim Plunkett. They had Howie Long that's still on TV doing his thing with NFL and Fox. And it, it's just these, it was a collection of, of greatness. And, yeah. and, and, and I was like, as I'm walking in, remember, I'm the guy who my, my vacations were in a little VW bug. And OJ Simpson back in the day when he yeah. hadn't gone completely cuckoo, yeah. um, you know, he'd pull in the parking lot in the Ferrari and there's guys in the Mercedes and the Porsches. And I mean, it was just a whole nother level. We had, you know, it was LA back in the day. This, you know, really dates, but you know, I was 23 years old and we've got Cary Grant and, and the guy from that played in the Rockford files and yeah. all these actresses. And, you know, they were all around. It was just, so again, it took my level of thinking big to opening that ceiling once again, a little of possibility, not only in sport, but in business. Yeah. Amazing. How long? So um, I, I went to the, I went to the Vegas Tampa Bay Super Bowl uh, in San Diego. I think, I don't know if oh. that was the role you're talking about, but that was amazing. But when, um, so how many years did you play for Vegas? I mean, for um, sorry, Los Angeles. Yeah. Raiders. The Raiders. I was there. Yeah. I was there for three years and I got traded in New Orleans. Um, oh, Yeah. So I was down there for a couple of years, but, and that was a fascinating experience too. Cause the first year I got there, they'd never won. I'd always won. I'd never lost. I mean, either lose games here and there, but I'd never had a losing season. Losing and, season. Yeah, and the Saints up to that point had never had a winning season for 20 years. And the year I got there was the first winning season. And it was just amazing to see the town react to, you know, what was, and, and, you know, I mean, I can't remember ever buying a drink or a meal or anything, you know, just <laughs> everybody was so excited about it, you know, about what was going on down there, but all in all, I had five years in the NFL and, you know, you look at a guy like Tom Brady right now, he's on his 24th or 25th year. Unbelievable. He's unbelievable. And he's a rarity and the average lifespan of a, of any player is like a year and a half. And so for me to get to that five and get my pension and, and, and those things, you know, has come full circle, especially with my mountaineering um, in terms of my NFL career kind of becoming irrelevant again. So it's been it's been really interesting how this whole thing has had kind of a full circle um, yeah. of things. Yeah. Were you there with Drew Reese? Uh, no, no, Drew no, I, I, no, 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 no. Um, I'm probably five years older than Drew. Than Drew. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Just with another one of my. He, he's one of my favorites because I went to Purdue yeah. too. We've, yeah. We don't have as many, we don't have as many elite athletes coming out Purdue as we did in the fifties and sixties. So I, I grasp onto those when they come through. So Drew was, yeah. <laughs> she's been one of my, um, so how, what was the impetus for elite? I mean, five years is amazing, but did you, was it just a point in time where you're like, you know, was there anything about your health? I'm just curious as to what happened your last year. And then how did you, what was the impetus to pivot? And what came next? Yeah, again, let's jump into another aha moment. Like, you know, when I coming out of my fifth year, I was just like, you know what? I, I really see myself playing another 10 years. And I got, there was an opportunity to go to, go back to Seattle. And there's a whole set of circumstances around that. And, and at the end of the day, um, they paid me way more money to go do that, but I got cut. And, and it was very painful because I had a very secure situation down in New Orleans. Yeah. And I was so defeated by that. And I've been doing that 
playing, you know, at the highest level really for 10 years between my college, and my NFL thing, yeah. I was just burned out on it. I was now 30. And I was just like, you know what, I want to go try some other life experiences. I want to go to Europe, which I'd never been able to do before, you know, cause I was always working out sure. constantly. Right. I was a junkie. And, and so it probably took me. So I'd like to sit here today and say, you know, look, I retired and it was all smooth and everything was you know, <laughs> right. this big ceremony, but I basically got thrown out. Right. Yeah. And so at, at the end of the day, I, I probably went through two years of really hard times. Mm-hmm. Like it was, you know, and I, I know there's a lot of similarities with military guys that are coming out or girls where you've been in this kind of team locker atmosphere, you know, or a squadron. And now you've been doing this thing, you're around, you've gone through the battles, you've had this amazing experience in our day too, you know, you're very glorified and you're paid, you know, it's nothing like today, but it's all relative, but you're yeah. paid good money. And, and then you come out and then I'm 30 years old and all my buddies who graduated and done kind of the normal zigzag to get to where they were, they were stabilized and they were starting to make some good money. I had to go back to the bottom, yeah. right? Of the pile. And, and I thought my phone would be ring with opportunities and it didn't ring at all. And I was just like, okay, what am I going to do? Right. I was really petrified. Yeah. And I knew I wanted to do something great. I just didn't know how to transition that energy over into something new because I didn't know what was out there or how business works. Yeah. Right. How did, so what happens? I mean, did you, so those two, I get it. I mean, you know, I, you, and you just, you hear about it so much, especially with athletes, but to your point, it's military too, mm-hmm. where it's, it's like an adrenaline game. You know I mean? It's, it's an adrenaline experience that you're on all the time and you've got this camaraderie and you've got this group and you belong to something. And then you're unceremoniously thrown out because it's, you know, it's, it's at the top of your game and, and you lasted longer than most, but then you're, you know, to sink or swim on your own. And, and you, you probably felt lost. And I think, I think it's probably difficult for a lot of people to relate to like, Oh my gosh, look at the success and an NFL player. And but I think your experience is probably extraordinarily common, that feeling of, you know, being lost in the wilderness and what happens next. What did you do in those two years and, and how did you come out? You know, is it, was it personal things? Did you, did you find, you know, get married? Did you, did you just find, go home and just, work? what, what was the story like for you? Yeah. So I did get married and um, we'll get into that later. Um, another <laughs> aha moment about the mountaineering. Um, That's a- <laughs> yeah, but I, I did get married and, you know, she was doing well in what she was doing. We were living in L.A. I, I had been throughout my NFL career. I was buying a lot of homes up in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And that happened to be a very good thing um, for me because at that same time, again, Microsoft and these other companies started to really take off. And so the real estate values were just kept creeping up and up and up. So that turned out to be a, a you know, a great play. But in terms of my day to day purpose, I really didn't have anything. And then there's a friend of mine who thought that I might be good at, um, at this marketing opportunity, um, going to big corporations and helping out with whether different, um, you know, events that they were having and things like that. And so I ended up jumping into that and that lasted for quite some time. And that kind of led from one thing to another. Um, you know, again, all these different companies were sprouting up. So there's all this opportunity. I'd moved back to Seattle. Um, uh, and then, and then, um, somewhere along the way, uh, another kind of big moment for me that happened, which is um, I, had, I had heard through the grapevine that Starbucks was looking to um, replace their big green outdoor market umbrellas. So if you go to any Starbucks, you know, you've seen them, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. So anyways, I, and, and this, this really started to teach me about perseverance, not just, you know, taking my NFL experience and like, the, you know, all the things I went through in college and all the things I went through, but now the same thing was happening in, in, um, in, in business. And um, I called, I called the switchboard and say, Hey, uh, can you, can you uh, connect me with the person who's in charge of the outdoor market umbrellas? They did. And this gal picked up the phone. And I said, Hey, this is Mark. And, you know, I do these things. I like to make a run at it. It took me two and a half years to get that account. Wow. And I ended up signing, uh, setting up a whole export of uh, fabrics going out of the country. I set up a team in Hong Kong, a manufacturing thing in, in, in China. And I ended up getting the account for 14 years. We, we did every single outdoor market green umbrella that you've ever seen um, in, in North America, South America, and parts of Asia. It was unbelievable. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. And that, 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 I mean, that, that little, that one moment just was a spur for you. What, so, so this became its own business. What happened to the business? So ultimately with the bit, so that business then, so the, the business that I was in, the thing I didn't like about it, um, there was really no barrier to entry. Anybody could do it. It was very yeah. competitive and people sure. were always bidding against each other. You know, kind of the lowest price would always win. I just like, this doesn't make sense to me. So um, about 10 years as, as this company was going along, I ended up starting another company called Front Porch Classics, which was a gaming company, like old, not electronic games, but like old traditional. We called uh -huh. them, um, we were actually the ones who trademarked the name Coffee Table Games. People oh. hear that today, but we traded about that name. And so we started this company. I went out and raised 500 grand. It took me two weeks to raise that money. Um, and we started this little company. There was nine of us. Uh, and we ended up in 2001, we won Toy of the Year. Oh, my um, God. Yeah, with this this product. And in, in, in the world of that, you're competing against Mattel and Hasbro and these gigantic <laughs> right, right companies. Right. We beat them all out. And then the next year, we what was it? What up. was the game? That you it, was, uh, it was called old century baseball. So it was kind of an old way. Um, it looked a little bit like a pinball game, but it was miniature size, but it sold out everywhere. Okay. And so then we got venture money and venture capitalists came into it. And it was kind of all about the time when the, the, the country was going upside down because we were so plugged in and there were all these dot coms and we got hit with um, by 9-11. Yeah. And it was right after 9-11 that the venture people called us and they said, we want to fund your company. Um, wow. which was really amazing. Yeah. And so, so now what's starting to happen in my business life is like, I'm going from this little co company that I had to starting to play with some bigger players and understanding how bigger business works. And then recognizing that, you know what, I I'm competing against every, I'm not my, not my Starbucks business, but the other part of the business, I'm competing against people. They're doing the same thing. And then what can my point of difference be? So, you know, so that's where I was just like, light bulb goes on. Let me start a company where we have proprietary um, goods that yeah. nobody else compete against us, right? So we went down that path. And so now, you know, ultimately that company was sold in 2008 and um, we ended up in seven different countries. Um, we are in, I think, like 700 different retail um, locations. I've been in every, in front of every buyer. So again, I was just working that craft of talking in front and getting in front of them, doing presentations and why you know, why we're better and why that product's going to sell in the department store and Macy's, the May company, Nordstrom's, everybody we, yeah. we, we were in. So it was really incredible. And then that went along for a number of years. And, and again, having another kind of a pivot, I'll make this quick um, pivot is I started to see like after that company was sold, um, 
I knew that this whole kind of revolution of going digital was happening. And so I kind of put that company down and that was hard because I had to make another pivot. And that pivot was Mark needs to learn everything he needs to learn without going to college on how to, um, um, that the world of e-commerce and the world of how the internet works and how advertising works and how subscription works and how, you know, the algorithms and everything else, everything. And so it was painful because the salary I was making took a huge decline. And we went through 2008, 2009, we're in the market crash and everything else. And so it was a scary time for me. Yeah. So I'll leave it at that for, for now. I've talked to him, but it was just these, these, these pivots and these aha moments of like, you know, there's got to be a different way. There's got to be a different way. There's got to be like, where's the pop going? Not where I am today, but where is that thing going down the road? Which is frightening and, and risky because you kind of put everything at risk to try something new that you know you've got to, to be successful, but there's no guarantee that you will be successful at it. So it's, it takes a lot of courage to, to step out of that, that comfort zone, which I think has been, by the way, the theme that I'm pulling from your entire being, but I want to, I want to connect two things um, now sort of, cause I, and we'll get to then how you got to sports illustrated, but I'm very curious. I know you're married at this point in time. I know for sure, at least you've got a daughter, Amelia, from your story. What, what happened? When, when was she born and what, when did the mountaineering combine and, and how did you, how did you end up combining those two things, you know, for your philanthropic bent? <laughs> yeah. By the way, it raised over $150,000. Uh, wow. You mentioned 60,000 early in the program. Yeah. Oh. So I have, I have two daughters um, and uh, one is now 25 and the other one's 23. Amelia is 23, the younger one. And when she was eight, um, we were in Europe um, traveling as a family and I had noticed that she wasn't, listening or hearing or, you know, just uh, paying attention to me. And so one thing led to another, which led to then getting back to the States, back up to Seattle, going and having a, a checkup. And, and she was diagnosed with having epilepsy and she doesn't have the type wow. of epilepsy where she'd fall over and, you know, have a convulsions type of thing. It was something called absence um, uh, seizures, which were like little mini petite seizures were like you and I are having a conversation like we are right now. And then she just blank out for, you know, 10 to 15 seconds, but these were daily. And if, you know, if she had 10 seizures a day, that's a huge win, huge win. Wow. That must be frightening. Yeah. So over all these years, you know, not being able to ride a bike, play on the monkey bars, drive, she still can't drive. Um, You know, it's been a big, huge challenge for her um, in a, in a major way. And so, um, so, so stop that story right there for a second. And then we go back 10 years. Um, I was going through a tough time. My now ex didn't want to be married anymore. And so um, it was a really hard um, thing for me to go through. And, uh, and so this went on and on for a couple of years. And after a couple of years, I finally just got sick and tired of it. And I said, you know what, I'm tired of of asking, you know, how I got in this position because I was, I always said I would be the one guy that never get divorced and there's no divorce ever in the history of my entire family. And and all of a sudden I'm in that position. Right. And there's only one way out. And so I changed that whole, that whole mindset from how I get here to what am I going to do about it? And so I needed something massive from to pull myself out of. And obviously since I've been very physical over my life, and coming from, from Seattle, Washington, I said, you know what, um, I'm going to go back and I'm going to type in the Google browser 
has any NFL player ever climbed the seven summits, the highest peak on every continent? And the answer was no. So I said, I'm going to be that guy. So again, stepping into the fear, doing on a daily discipline, you know, and wow. commit, right? Same things I had done in football, same things I had done in business, right? The scary part of like, I didn't know anything about mountaineering, right? I mean, little hikes like all of us do, but not where you're throwing on crampons and going up upside down and ice and, you know, all these things I've, I've been through now. Have experienced. And so that's how I got into mountaineering. And then um, this was probably no, four, three, four years ago. I got invited by Howie Long's son, Chris Long, who started a foundation called Water Boys. And Water Boys is essentially um, uh, tasked with raising money to build water wells for the people in East Africa, and in particular in Tanzania, uh, for the people of the Maasai tribe. And so um, it was his first class. And so myself and I think there was five or six other NFL players and some, some, um, uh, some military folks who had you know, their legs blown off. And this, we all went down to, to uh, Arusha, which is in Tanzania. And we went out to the uh, Maasai tribes. And it was just a spiritual experience, you know, just to see what these people live like and their happiness factor, their gratitude factor. Um, how high it was considering how little money and resources they actually have, you know, they, their currency is a goat. That's what they, so, so, and then we went, we climbed Kili. That was my second time I've, I've I've climbed Kilimanjaro and re-raised personally raised, you know, just on that one alone, $46,000 to fund my own well. So, you know, it was a really liberating eye-opening thing. So that then led to the following year when my, my daughter, who's now attending the University of Arizona, was really getting mission critical. Um, her, her epilepsy had gone to kind of a whole different level. Mm-hmm. We had to medically withdraw her from school to deal with that. And I was just like, you know, why am I, I mean, it's great that I've helped out and build water well for, you know, one of the villages and the tribes down there, but I need to help my daughter. And so I started this campaign called the Millionaire's Everest. And so with that Millionaire's Everest, you know, I was able through my platform to through through the you know relatively speaking notoriety I was getting from from the NFL and other uh, outlets Wall Street Journal New York Times places like that um, I was able to then redirect kind of the light that was being shown on me towards this Amelia's Everest campaign to go help others um, which has just been a blessing and so you know the thing about this too is now we're talking. Um, uh, in the last 11 months, so it's been 11 months since my daughter has not had a seizure. Oh my God. That's amazing. Yeah. And this is after, you know, 17 years. And I really believe part of that is not because of me. It's because of creating this campaign and the empowerment that she has received from being the spokesperson, having to get in front of a lot of people. The NFL also did a film on my journey on Everest. And she played a major role in that film. And, um, and I think just like, hey, I can do it. And I'm somebody and I'm valued and not having the shame that she always felt that went along with having epilepsy. Right. Unbelievable. Uh, so today, I mean, I, I think that that's true. Are you, is this still part of, is there a foundation or how, or how can people continue to support? Because I have to, you know, look, epilepsy is a lot more common than I think people know. Um and so, you know, what you're talking about of being able to give some purpose, does the money that you're raising, does it go to, to helping do medical research or does it go, does it, does it go to helping um, people who, who suffer from epilepsy 
do, you know, give them some funds to do something else with their life or something purpose? What is it? What is it that is the, at the root of the foundation? Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a great question. And, and, you know, I think the first thing is not one penny goes to Mark and Mark's, Mark's climbing or, yeah. and, and actually not one penny has gone to Amelia specifically it's to help others. So I paired and partnered with a company in, in, um, in some Valley, Idaho called higher ground. Right. Oh, yeah. And so what higher ground, their whole thing, and this kind of falls back on the theme of what I was just talking about with Amelia, why she's been healed is that, that they bring, um, probably mostly military people that have come out and have been had a lot of cognitive and adaptive issues. Mm-hmm. And so because we live in a playground here, we've got all these different resources by having them ski for the first time, go down rivers, fly fish, mountain climb, mountain bike, these different things, which they've never been able to do. It's made them, you know, stand a little bit taller the best that they can. And so again, it's this theme of empowerment and what that can do to the psyche of if you believe and you think you can do it, then you can overcome and achieve anything. Yep. Absolutely. That's amazing. I love that. Is there, is there a place that people just, since you've got a little bit of a platform here that people can yeah. go to, to support and donate? Yeah. The easiest place to go is markpattisonnfl.com and there's a philanthropy tab and you'll see Amelia's Everest. And again, everything goes directly. Once you hit a button, donate now, it goes all directly to higher ground. That's amazing. Well, good. I, I want to make sure we get a second for that because it's, yeah. it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing story. Okay. So pivot, let's get to your final chapter. Uh-huh. How'd you get to sports? I mean, I know you're on the cover. Clearly the jinx didn't happen. The being on the cover and jinxing that d- didn't seem oh, to happen yeah. to you. And now you're full circle over there. How, how, um, how did you get there? And, and what is, what inspired you? And what's, what is it like to work at sports illustrated? Yeah, no, it's really cool. Um, so five years ago, as part of a founding team, um, that we started a technology company and the technology company at the time, um, and has been really the kind of the main, um, focus on what we have done, which was to build a world, world-class technology, um, to have it all on a single technology platform that we could invite big brands that they would run their companies on these different, um, on our technology. And so, you know, five years later now, we have over 300 companies, the History Channel, the Biography Channel, Max Magazine, Yoga Journal. And then two years ago, there was an opportunity to buy The Street, which is a financial um, um, advice uh, website, uh, which we did. And then we also tried to buy Sports Illustrated. And that didn't happen because a gigantic company outbid us. But we turned around because of our past operational experience. Um, and, and we signed a long-term license deal with Sports Illustrated. And so again, um, my role has always been to grow the brand. And for years and years and years and years and years and years, um, they had not grown. They've been very stagnant and and it's a, it's a big accomplishment, I think, because we, we took um, Sports Illustrated from number 12 in terms of the rankings worldwide, ESPN's number one, um, you know, NBC Sports, Yahoo, you know, the big names are up there. And, and um, we, uh, this last year, we ended 2021 in the number five spot. Wow. And so, yeah, we, we made just a gigantic leap. And we are going on to the New York Stock Exchange. Um, we're listing here in the next couple of months. So oh, amazing! Uh, yeah, so yeah, so it's all it's all happening in, in big ways, and we have a lot of momentum right now. So you know, it, it's like anything when you win, it's great, and when you lose, it sucks. And we've got great momentum going on right now. 
love that. That's a great story. So let's let's wrap up by like, what's next? Uh-huh. <laughs> what's next? <laughs> well, I, I will continue my work with Sports Illustrated. So that's fun. Um, I have more climbs coming. Uh, in late September, I'm headed to Chamonix and climbing a mountain called Mount Blanc. And then I'm going to follow that up by uh, climbing another mountain, a little bit more famous called uh, the Matterhorn. Um, that will be, you know, crazy straight up, um, doing that, continuing to do, um, my philanthropy work, uh, raising money. And, um, you know, I've just got a variety of other things that we're working on a book, you know, that's coming. And again, this movie, uh, insert searching for the summit came out and I continue to promote that. Um, and so that's just been a, a blessing. They've all been blessings. So, uh, just, you know, I, I, I'm not stopping, you know, if anything, I just turned 60. And so for me, it's really tr- starting to, to accelerate and put the, put the gas down and go. And so that's the one thing I've learned out of this adversity and about having to pivot and reset and get after it and do all these things is like, you know, you can't stop, man. You got to keep moving. I love it. The power of the pivot. That's awesome. So one final thing, where can people see, what is the, what is the name of the film search for the summit? Searching for the summit, you know, you can find all that stuff on my website. That's the easiest place because the NFL's made it a little tricky to find. Um, so if you go on my website, markpattisonnfl.com, there's a big red button. You can see the one minute trailer and then you can also see the film, which is being, which is shown on NFL 360 as well. But it's a, it's a really moving, you know, I, I shot a lot of that uh, film up on Mount Everest, and uh, they came to some valley and shot a lot of it. They've got a lot of people there interviewed, but it's a 30-minute power-packed film that is not about just some ex-jock climbing a mountain. It's really about the human emotion of what happened to my daughter and how you know I really dedicated that climb because I came so close to not making it back. You know, I ended up on on summit day. Um, I was I I got. Uh, snow blind in one, one eye. I hadn't eaten in three days. I was in a cyclone and I ran out of oxygen. My Sherpa left me. So those are not the, the types of things that you want to have happen on Mount Everest, but they wow. all happen to me. And so trying to overcome that and really digging deep on what's the most important thing in life. Talk about a holy shit moment. That, <laughs> that was a big time one. That was a big one. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, I love that. Um, I love that we can see it. Look, there's no shortage of people asking me like, what have you watched lately? So this yeah. is a great one to put on the list um, and, <clears throat> and hopefully be moved by that and, and maybe feel the, feel the impetus to give a little bit back to the charity that, that you're working towards. So mm-hmm. this has been fabulous. Mark, thank you for sharing your story. We're going to send everybody to markpattisonnfl.com. Um, we'll have the podcast out in multiple places, but thank you for, for sharing your story with us today. It's been fantastic. Thank you so much. Love being on with you. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.